I'm excited to continue our uh, series that we are in. Last week, we launched a new series titled New Drip. Anybody excited about that? Yeah. Uh, it, it was a fun morning. And, and look, I, I felt like I had to define what New Drip is. Because uh, if you're over the age of 25, maybe you might not know that term drip, what it means. And uh, so we define New Drip as this. A drip is a slang term that's used to describe someone's style as cool and fashionable. So that applies to shoes, jewelry, clothing. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's all drip and it looks good, then it is drip that they can be proud of. And it's so funny because one of our members, uh, Cheryl, she emailed us this week and said that she was at the dealership this week getting her car serviced. And the technician was walking by and he's big old guy, tall guy. And she looked at him and she said, hey. I like your drip. And he just lost it. I mean, he was laughing so much. He was like bent over, laughing in tears. And so they got to talk all about her church and the series that the church is doing called New Drip. So can we just celebrate how incredible that is? That wasn't our intention, but God is using it to even do that as well. And uh, so it, it was a really fun morning. And we talked about New Drip because we said this, that for all the most significant points in your life, significant events, weddings, graduations, a really important date, whatever it is, that we get new drip for that, right? And we said this, that spiritually, the most important moment in your life when you gave your life to Jesus, do you realize that you got new drip as a result of that? See, in the book of Galatians 3.26, it says that we've put on Christ, that when you, when you give your life to Jesus, you've not put on Christ, there's a new self that we receive. And then Paul then spends all of Colossians 3 kind of unpacking what that looks like, this new self, this new drip that we have now, spiritually speaking. And then he calls us to take off the old in order to experience the new. We have new drip. And we said this, that being new in Christ, according to Colossians 3, here's what that means for us, that we have a new identity. It says that you've been raised with God now and you are now seated where he's seated. And so you've been raised with him. And we talked about how this is heavy baptism language that is talking about us dying to the old self, being made new and being raised to life in Christ. So that's kind of what Paul is developing further here, telling him, you've been raised, you've been made new, you've got new drip now, there's a new identity we have. We are now called a son or a daughter of God because of what Jesus has done for us. It means that there's a new priority in our lives now, where Paul then goes on to tell them, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Because you've been made new, you've been raised with Christ, now the priority on your life should be to continue to seek the things that are above, and not to live your life like anybody else. And we unpacked that. We talked about how there's a new authority that you now have on your life, over your life, and in your life as well. That it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he declared all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. So that means that Jesus now has authority over your life, over anything else. And it means this, that because you are in Christ... The same power that raised him from the dead is now alive and at work in you. It gives you authority so that you can now live a life of authority. That's why the scripture says this, that sin will no longer have dominion over you because of the authority of the king that he has that he's given onto you to now go and to live it out. So there's a new authority that you now have in your life. And there's a new reality that you now get to be a part of because you've been made new because you've been raised. It says this, that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Meaning who we really are is hidden right now. But someday when Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be made revealed. 
so that we would be, be able to actually see who we are. And that's why the scriptures talk about how we are actually citizens of heaven. I mean, just pause and just ponder that for a second, that your citizenship, where you belong, is actually in heaven with God. And how amazing is that? So there's a new reality that we've now stepped into, but we're still living in this already, but not yet, of what God has done for us. And there's now eternal security that you have. When it says that your life is hidden, that terms means that when you surrender your life to Jesus, you are kept safe with him until he comes back. So in salvation, Jesus does the saving, he does the sustaining, he does the growing, and he does the keeping until he comes back to call you to spend eternity with him forever which is so powerful for some of us that are still living our lives and questioning, well, am I saved or not? Should I ask Jesus into my heart again? I don't know about my eternity. I don't know. Maybe I should just repent enough times because I don't really know what's going to happen to me when I die. No, the scriptures say your life is hidden with Christ in God, that you have eternal security because of what Jesus did. Not anything you and I do to earn or to deserve it, but because of what he's done for us, we have eternal security and we have new drip, but that means that now we need to clear out the closet, clear out, clear out the wardrobe, right? There's a wardrobe change that happens, and that's dealing with the old self and getting rid of that. Because you belong to Jesus, sin no longer belongs in your life. And I say that again. Sin doesn't belong in your life because you belong to Jesus. And oftentimes we get that so backwards, right? It's like, well, if I just try hard enough to get rid of the sin in my life, then maybe I can feel like I'll belong to God. And no, the gospel turns that around and it says, no, because you belong, you can continue to get rid of the old self. Sin no longer belongs in your life because you belong to Jesus. You've been made new. You've received this new drip. Get rid of the old. It's no longer your style. And we don't work for God's approval. We work from a place of approval in our lives so powerful. I mean, we could be done on that and leave right now, right? Because so many of us are still falling back into that same spirit of religion, which is to work hard if I do these things and maybe I'll feel like God's, God approves of me and the gospel just says you could never earn it on your own and that's why he gives it freely as a gift through his grace, which is really what we're unpacking is all about God's grace in your life. His grace that pursues you, that finds you, that makes you new, that gives you an abundant life that you now get to be a part of all because of what he's done for you. And today we're going to be unpacking what does it look like for that new self, for that new life to actually impact every single area of our lives. See, we said last week that the new drip that we have is not just some outfit that you wear to like a fancy dinner and then you get to take it off and go back to whatever clothing you have. But no, it's a, it's a new self that we have that changes every single area of our lives that begins to permeate every single area and God's desire and his heart for you is that you would experience that new life in every single area of your life. So that's what our main idea today is just this, that you now can experience a transformed life, that abundant life is available to you and you can actually get to step into that here and now. See, I grew up overseas in Africa and we grew up with not a lot available to us. There was just a scarcity mindset growing up in a third world country, as you can imagine. And every toy that you got, you were always like kind of rationing it, you know, how much you used it, how much you played with it. Like with my bike, when I got my first bike, I would only ride it for a certain amount of hours a day or only certain days to try to make sure that you extended the life of it as much as possible. You would treat your clothes that way. Uh, food would be treated that way. Sometimes any toys you had, you're always thinking, I've got to really make sure that I don't overuse this because if it breaks, then it's just gone and I don't have anything anymore. So then I come to the States and I've got my own kids now and we're living here in this land of like abundance where scarcity is just not a thing. 
And I was laughing about this with my brother the other day. He lives up in Chicago because I found myself with our kids telling them like, hey, you can only ride uh, your bike for like this, you know, many hours a day or whatever it is. And hey, let's not use that toy. Let's not this. Let's... And then I caught myself and realized, even though I'm living in a place of abundance now, because guys, we are, we are so blessed with so much abundance in this country that we don't even understand really what that looks like. And um, I'm living here now in this place of abundance, but I'm still living back in the old way of scarcity and telling my kids, oh, like you can, you can only like use this toy this many times and to make sure that we have enough. And it's like the reality is if they broke their bikes, we could just drive to Walmart and go buy a new one, right? It's like available to us. And so many of us, here's what I found. God has made us new. We now have this abundant, transformed, like this new self that is available to us now. But so many of us continue to live in the old and there's kind of this scarcity mindset and we miss out on really the transformed, abundant life that God has for us. And Jesus says it this way in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and to destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you know that abundant life is available to you right now? because you've been made new in Christ? Here's what I find is this, that if Satan can't take away the eternal life that you have, he can at least keep you from experiencing abundant life right now. If Satan cannot take away the eternal life that you have, because remember, you have eternal security, he can at least do his best to keep you from experiencing the abundant life that you have right now. And so, so many of us continue to go about our lives and just we miss out on the transformed life that God has for us to experience here and now. That what Jesus did for us on the cross wasn't just so that someday you get to die, you get to go to heaven, then you get to experience abundant life. No, abundant life begins actually right now. You and I can experience a transformed life because of what Jesus done for us. And that's what I want to talk about today. So would you pray with me? God, we just pause right now to invite you into the space to meet us right where we are. God, I don't know everybody in here and just what they're carrying in their lives right now and Father, I pray that you just meet them right where they are. God, would you help me as always just to step out of the way right now? I don't want my words. God, I want your words to speak to us today. And anything that is not from you, would you remove that from me? And God, would you help us just to lean into what you have for us and what you want to do in every single one of our lives, including mine this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So you can experience abundant life here and now. And um, so I was 16 years old when I came to the States as an international student. And what you need to understand in Africa is that everything that we do just has more flavor to it. Our clothes are more fun, super colorful, and our food, like vegetables, you cook them, and then there's like a million different spices that you get to put on them. So everything we do, our music is so fun. The culture is fun. It's just the happy, loud people. And so then I'm used to that growing up. And I come to the States when I'm 16, and I move in with a family here that took me in, my American family. And then uh, one day, somebody puts like a plate of lettuce in front of me. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is the plainest, blandest thing I've ever seen in my life. And so for the longest time, I was like, lettuce, nope, broccoli, nope. I just could not touch the vegetable. So my poor American family, they're just like, all right, well, we've got this international student now. We don't know, like, our international, we need to try to feed him and keep him alive, but he doesn't eat vegetables. So what do we do? And so like 10 years later, I'm out to eat with my, uh, my host dad, my American dad, and um, they come and they're taking our order, and I ordered a salad. And you would have thought he was going to have a heart attack or something. He like turns around. He's like, what? 
you're eating salads now? I'm like, yeah, they're actually not that bad. <laughs> and then I look back 10 years, you know, earlier to that where I just wanted nothing to do with it. I'm like, wow, I've actually changed in some things that I used to not like about a different culture. I'm actually learning to like and some things that, you know, I like, maybe I don't like as much, but there's change that happens in your life over time. And when you place your faith in Jesus, listen, transformation is possible. It might take 10 years. It might take 20 years to do that, but you can be personally transformed. And that's the power of the gospel. You can experience personal transformation. And Paul says this in verse uh, 9 of Colossians 3. He says, do not, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You've put on the new self. You've been made new and now the call is to go and to, to live that out. And it's so important. We talked about this last week that we understand what our salvation in Jesus actually looks like. That it is one event that takes place in our lives when you place your faith in Jesus. But it's a three-part play that plays out. So there's a past tense of it where God has saved us from the penalty of sin in our lives. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice, went, on, went to the cross on your behalf. When he paid the price that you deserve to pay, died the death that you deserved, that granted you justification, which is a fancy term that just means you now get to stand before God righteous because the righteousness of Christ has now clothed you and you now get to stand righteous before God. But also there's the ongoing part of our salvation, which we are living in here and now, which is that daily we are being saved from the power of sin in our lives. That's what Paul is calling, and he's calling them to continue to, every single day, take off the old and put on the new, because it's a daily thing that goes on, and sanctification happens for the entire rest of your life. See, if the goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, our creator, it means that Jesus is up here, and we are here, and in our discipleship journey, there's a gap right there that we're called to continue to close that gap for the rest of our lives, so that every part of our lives begins to reflect him and his character and his nature more and more. And that's why we're called to continue every single day to put off the old and to put on the new. And we do that through setbacks. We do that through failure. And we continue to every single day reminding us of what God has already done for us. We continue to step in that. That's sanctification where God is saving us from the power of sin, which is happening right now. And here's the hope that we have someday. That when Jesus returns, he will actually save us from the presence of sin. It's glorification. Think about that sin or that struggle or that part of brokenness in your life right now that just you're like, man, my whole life, I continue to fight this addiction. I continue to fight this sin. And I just feel like I cannot seem to shake it that someday when Jesus returns, that sin is no longer going to be a part of your life. And so we have to look forward to which gives us hope in the here and now that we can continue to push towards that, continue to strive to become more like Jesus because we know that someday he will actually come and remove sin completely from our lives, save us from the presence of sin. And we live in the here and now. We can continue to work towards that. And I find this that many of us, when we think of the cross of Jesus, we tend to think of salvation, not transformation. That what Jesus did for us wasn't just something that, okay, now, great, you believe in Jesus. He died for you. You have salvation now. Get to live the rest of your life, the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, waste the rest of your life. And then someday, when he comes back, then you'll actually experience what that means for you. No, when we think of the cross of Jesus, many of us think of salvation, but actually the cross of Jesus brings transformation also in our lives. That what he did was enough to continue to make us new and to help us to 
empower us through his Holy Spirit to step into the new every single day to be continually renewed into his likeness. And I find that many of us have just settled for this lie from the enemy. Well, that's just who I am. That's just who I'm always going to be. Well, I'm just an addict. That's who I'm always going to be. Well, I'm just, I'm just an angry person. Well, I just have a short temper and that's just who I'm going to be. And we forget that what Jesus did on the cross for you is enough to transform you. In those moments when we say, well, that's just who I am, fill in the blank. What we are saying is that the cross of Jesus and his blood shed for you is not enough to transform you. And that's just a lie from the enemy that I believe too many of us are continuing to live in every single day. And guess what? The enemy is using that to keep us from experiencing the abundant life that God has for us by keeping us in the old end. That's why it's so important for us to continue to just saturate our lives with the scriptures and his truth and to be reminded of things like this that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone. He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And that's past tense. He's already done that for you. You are new in Christ and continue to step into that through his Holy Spirit that comes in and empowers us that God doesn't always just tell us, hey, you're, uh, you're called to, to live out this new life and good, good luck, go and, go and do it on your own. No, God actually gives us his Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now alive and at work in you and that same authority that Jesus has because he's seated at the right hand of God. He gives you that authority to continue to every day step into the new. And his Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives and like a new tenant that moves into an apartment, begins to move the furniture around it to conform it to its liking. And so we begin to shift in different areas in our lives and to look more and more and more like Jesus. That is the lifelong process that we were engaged in. So maybe if you're finding yourself right now just struggling with something and it feels like, man, this is always going to be a part of my life. Can I just tell you this, that one, someday when Jesus returns, glorification, he will save you from the presence of sin. But in the present right now, he is still working in your life through sanctification, transforming you. You can be personally transformed through the power of the gospel. And I've been in some difficult pastoral meetings in the last few weeks with different people and that theme has kind of come up where maybe there's hurt that has happened from somebody. And usually there's another person who has been a victim of that hurt that is going, well, that's just who he is. That's just who she is. They're always going to be this person. They're always going to be a liar. They're always going to be whatever it is. And I just have to push back in those moments and say, listen, because I believe the gospel of Jesus, that transformation is possible. I just cannot agree with that statement right now. That if I didn't believe that transformation was actually possible through the gospel, I might as well not believe the gospel at all. That what Jesus did for us is so powerful that it begins here and now, transforming us into what is yet to come. That we get to experience that glory, but that abundant life actually begins right now, personally, in our lives. And number two, you can experience transformed relationships. You can experience transformed relationships and it brings up a really key part of the gospel, which is this, that the gospel changes how I view and treat other people. The gospel becomes the lens that I put on that now I see people through and how I treat people all because of what Jesus has done for me, not because of how I feel about them, whether I like them or not, whether they're loud and annoying or not. No, it doesn't matter. The gospel is the way that we view people and the thing that we view people. So Paul is going to get now into some of these things within the church that he's writing to that were dividing factors that they have in the church. In verse 11, he says this, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and what in all. 
that the gospel becomes a primary identity that, that we get to live that out, that we see every single person through the lens of the gospel. That if they're a fellow believer in Christ, that they are now your brother or sister in Christ. And if they're an unbeliever, guess what? There is somebody who is also created in the image of God who deserves dignity and love and kindness. All the things that Paul will now call them to live out all because of the gospel, all because they've been raised with Christ, they've been made new. It changes how we view and treat other people. And this church that he's writing to in Colossae, uh, there's a guy there in the church by the name of Philemon that an entire book is kind of dedicated to, which is a letter that Paul was writing to him. And Philemon was a slave owner. He had a, sna- a slave by the name of Onesimus in the church who ran away, becomes a believer, encounters Paul's ministry. And now Paul is sending him back to Philemon. And he says this, take him back no longer as a slave, but a fellow brother in Christ. That is the power of the gospel that is able to break down any barriers that you might find in our society today. And it's also important for us to, to realize this, that there's so much of us living in our culture as Americans here that have allowed for politics and policies to really shape how we read the scriptures. But what you're seeing Paul talk about here has less to do with the, the color of skin and has more to do with different ethnicities socioeconomic statuses and different backgrounds that people might have where they're Greeks or Jews and they're proud of their heritage. But Paul is calling them to to lay aside all those differences to be united in Christ because Christ is all and in every single person in that church. And I lived in South Africa for about three and a half years of my life. And it's a, a nation where you can read up on their history. They went through some awful things with apartheid. And when we were living there, it was post apartheid, but there was still so much tension and division In that nation, we might have looked like everybody there, but man, we experienced a lot of discrimination and prejudice and even straight up uh, hate sometimes because we were foreigners in that nation. And that's why with this conversation, it's so important for us to realize this. When we're talking about this, it's a gospel issue because it's not a skin issue. It is a sin issue. It's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. Ever since the fall through sin, there's something within every single one of us as human beings that wants to look at people that are different than us, to approach them with prejudice and all kinds of assumptions about who they are and to distance ourselves rather than associate. And Sin brought bo- brokenness in our relationship with God, but guess what? It also brought brokenness in our relationship with one another. And so this process of being transformed and being new is actually undoing that and learning what it looks like in Christ to be one again. And the church needs to be the one leading the way on that. And when you study up on the early church that it was the most diverse group of people back in that day, which is why the church was so attractive and thousands of people are being added onto the church because it was a diverse group of people that were all willing to come aside, come together, lay aside all of their differences, their backgrounds to be together, to love one another. I mean, read the book of Acts. The love that they had would put some of us to shame today. They loved one another so deeply and the world would see that and go, man, what is it about these people where they love one another so much? All of that was possible because of the gospel, because of what Jesus had done for them and The gospel breaks down every single barrier that we might have set through society and whatever it is. And in our world today, man, especially over the last few years, the conversation has become so hostile. Are you blue or red? Are you pro? Are you anti? Are you this? Are you that? And we as a church, unfortunately, sometimes have allowed that same hostility from culture to come into the church and begin to cause division. And here's the enemy's strategy is to divide and conquer. 
So it keeps us from living out our witness. And if we're to be known for our love as a church, well, guess what happens when the world sees a divided church? They know that clearly our politics, our race, or whatever it is, is more important to us than the gospel is. And people don't get to see the gospel of Jesus Christ and his amazing love that is able to break down every single barrier. But so many of us, man, our politics are so important to us. The minute that we start talking about unity or racial reconciliation, right away we view it through our American lenses and the walls go up and we're closed off to it. And can I just encourage you, because it's a sin issue, not a skin issue, we're going to address it as a church because it is so central to the gospel that we cannot experience the new life that God has for us if we continue to have prejudice in our hearts. And that goes for every single one of us, no matter what the color of your skin, every single one of us has sin in our lives, which means that we need to begin with this, asking God to search our own heart. God, search my own heart. Is there anything in me right now that doesn't reflect you and your character and your nature and how I should be treating people that are different than me? Who are the thems, God, that I've put into place in my life? Where I look and I go, oh, there's them. And that word that continues to divide us as a church where we're called to come together and the church is actually supposed to be the ones leading the way for culture to learn from us. And a lot of times you're now seeing culture begin to influence the church more and to try to teach us how to do it. And listen, this is a gospel issue that we're just going to continue to lean into as a church. And I'm going to, I look around the church here and I see people that look different than me. And guess what? That is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Because that's an image of heaven. Read Revelation 7 that you see there's a multitude of people that you can't even number. And it says this, from every tongue and every tribe and every nation, standing before God, worshiping God, because we all have this one thing in common, our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. So can we just, as a church together, begin to pray that prayer and just say, God, would you, would you search my heart, my own heart, before we point fingers and talk to anybody else? No, God, begin with me first. Show me if there's anything in my heart that I need to grow and I need to change in. And then, listen, be willing to confront even some of the people that are closest to you. See, this week, my brother and I were talking to our family overseas. And a couple of them are involved in this ministry where they're helping widows and orphans. And it's kind of taking off right now. So we're trying to come in and say, how can we set it up as an actual legitimate ministry and organization where we can get them some resources and that we can actually scale it up to impact thousands more people through that. And in that conversation, there was a family member of ours that we love, a family member of ours that wasn't willing to work with somebody else because, well, they're, they're a different tribe than we are. Well, they're not of the same nationality as we are. And we had to just confront that in the moment, just call it what it is. And guess what? When things like that happen over and over again, the enemy is dividing and conquering and keeping us from having an impact in our world. Because there's thousands of people that could benefit from this ministry. But we're saying because they are from a different tribe than we are, well, let's just not trust them. We should not work with them. And just think about how maybe in our context today, division continues to be the thing that the enemy is using to keep us as a church from living out our witness. Guys, it is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. This has nothing to do with politics. We, we don't stand up and preach politics from this pulpit, but we do preach the gospel. And the gospel does address this issue of how you view and you treat other people. And that's why we're going to continue to talk about that and lean into it as a church. And 
if we're not going to live the way of the world and actually live into the new with people that are different than us, what does that look like? Paul unpacks that in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if somebody has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Unforgiveness is one of the main tools I believe the enemy is using right now from, to, to keep so many people from experiencing abundant life in Jesus. So I say, if you can just hold on to it, man, I, they, they just wronged you and they just hurt you so deeply. And that unforgiveness, guess who it hurts? Is oftentimes not the person who's caused the hurt, but it's oftentimes the victim of the hurt. That we continue to hold on to it. And what would it look like in your life, maybe in those areas of unforgiveness, where you begin to just say, God, I'm going to open up my heart to stepping into the new that you've already given me. You've made me new in Christ. And will you help me to forgive the way that Christ forgives? And it says we forgive people not because they've earned it, not because they've deserved it, not because they've apologized like a hundred times. And then on, you know, time 100, we decide, okay, we're good now. No, we forgive because we've been forgiven ourselves. And when we learn to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, there's something about the character and nature of Jesus that we get to experience, that we get to put on to become more and more like him, which is why it's so important for us to be a people that are constantly going back to the gospel and saying, man, because I've been forgiven much, I can also extend that same forgiveness to other people that wrong me. And Paul says, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That we're a people that are called to be known for our love. And what would that look like for you to actually begin to experience transformed relationships? And maybe some of those places even where you've just lost hope today. Where you've just said, well, my marriage is just beyond repair right now. Not realizing that, man, God through the power of the gospel can step in, can make you new, can make your spouse new. Maybe it's a sibling that there's been a falling out with and you're just saying, well, that's just it for the rest of my life. We're going to do separate holidays, not whatever it is. And through the power of the gospel, God wants to step in and re reconcile that relationship, help you to experience what a transformed relationship could look like. And what would that look like for you to experience abundant life in every single one of your relationships? And number three... You can now bear fruit in God. You can bear fruit in verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, that there's now a new purpose on your life and God actually wants to make you fruitful. See, the gospel takes us from that place in our lives where we were living off of that forbidden fruit and sinning against God and we had our backs turned to him and it actually makes us into a, fruit, a tree that can bear fruit and do good works. And that's why God didn't just save you and just beam you up to heaven like, oh, that's it. They're done. No, he has you here on this earth because there's so much good work and so much fruit that he wants to bear through your life, which is why Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 are some of my favorite verses in the scriptures. It says, it's for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And then it goes on to say this in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand for us that we may walk in them. That word, their workmanship, 
It means it's a work of art. And that's where we get our word for the English word poem from. That Jesus as a master artist is sitting down and he's crafting you and taking different parts of your life, all the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he wants to use that to actually make you fruitful. And it says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Which is why you don't need to become a pastor. You don't have to become a missionary or a worship leader. Whatever you do, you can do in the name of the Lord Jesus. As an accountant, you can serve God through doing that. As a doctor, no matter what you do, is just saying this. Whatever you do, live your life on purpose for the purpose of bearing fruit in Christ. And you get to live that out and you get to do everything in the name of Jesus for the rest of your life. And that is what he has you and I here to do is to bear fruit. To continue to point more people to Jesus so that they would discover the love that he has for them. You know, I was 16 years old, grew up in a pastor's home, seminary president, my dad, and I never really read the scriptures before until I was 16 and a teacher challenged us. It's like, hey, why don't you guys actually get into the scriptures? And through reading the scriptures, Hebrews 9, 10, and 11, I discovered grace for the first time. That grace that set me free to be able to actually step into my calling. Because see, here's what my faith looked like up to that point. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross. He died for my sins. But there's also this part of me that was still trying to, man, let me, if I just work really hard and earn God's approval, then I'll feel really good about it. And then maybe I can feel like God could actually use me to bear fruit through my life. And man, through failure, through sin, through struggles, found myself so discouraged. And even though I was sensing this calling in my life that God was calling me actually to step into full-time ministry and I kept wrestling with these sins and like, well, he could never use somebody like me. Well, God, you don't know the sins in my life. You don't know the things that I've done. And some of you are sitting there right now where you're saying, God, you just don't know this sin in my life. Well, God, you just don't know that I've done this. Listen, the power of God's grace in your life is to come in and to set you free and to realize this, you could never earn it on your own. It's a free gift that he's given. That grace is this God giving us that unmerited favor, doing something for us that we could never earn on our own. And yet he does that for us. And even beyond that, he makes us into his workmanship and he wants to use us to continue to bear fruit for him. That some of you are sitting in here in this room right now, you might be a spiritual giant that is just waiting to be awakened to the reality of grace in your life that God can actually use you even in all your imperfection and your brokenness and can make you new to step into that abundant life that he has for you so that you would bear fruit for him. And the enemy wants to come in and continue to accuse us and to let us know, hey, you're never going to be good enough and look at what you've done and God could never love somebody like you and how are you ever going to get up on a platform and talk about Jesus when you have all this sin in your past and all this broken in your life and grace is just over and over again, God's unmerited favor in our lives, using flawed people that have shortcomings every single day but continuing to make us new and despite all of our failures, using us to bear much fruit, to point people to him, and can I just encourage you today that if that's you, man, do you, do you realize you've been made new in Christ? God wants you to begin to experience that abundant life here and now. Don't wait till heaven someday to experience it. No, He wants for you to experience that abundant life here and now. Pray with me. Father, we just, again, thank you so much for what you've done for us. God, it is so good to talk about your grace and your love for us and the gospel and to unpack what that looks like for our lives and 
God, I just thank you for that. I pray that that day never comes where we would get over the gospel and how good the good news of the gospel truly is for our lives, that we imperfect people that could never earn our way back to you, that you stepped in, you demonstrated your love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son to die for us, to call us home, to be a part of your family. We now get a seat at the table, all because of your grace to God. With everything in us, we say thank you, God, for how amazing you are. And then, God, I know that maybe there's some people right now in this room or even online listening right now that don't have that personal relationship with you. And, Father, our prayer is that they would continue to discover the amazing love that, they have, that you have for them. And if that's you in the room right now, listening to my voice and you say, yes, I keep hearing about this abundant life and Jesus, and I just don't know him that way as my personal Lord and Savior. And today is that day I want to make that commitment to give my life to Christ so that he would become my Lord and my Savior. If that's you in the room and you want to make that commitment today, in a second, I'm going to ask you to do a simple act of just surrender and as a commitment of faith that you are declaring that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and that you want to follow him for the rest of your life. So I'm going to just ask you if that's you, you want to make that commitment today just to raise your hand right now in the room, just right where you are. It's that simple. Simple act of faith. Yes, over here. Anybody else in here? Just raise a hand right now in this moment. You're just declaring that you want to surrender your life to Jesus. Would you raise a hand? Yes, over here. I see you. Maybe talk to mom and dad about that too. Anybody else in here? I see you guys over here. And if your hand is raised right now, yes, in the back, I see you as well. Yes, over there in the back, I see you. If your hand is raised right now, just pray something like this. God, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you so much for your love that pursues me. Thank you for what Christ did on the cross for my sin, for making me new, for this new life that I now have in you. And God, I surrender everything in my life to you. Help me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.